Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. podcast about comedy. I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Joel Morris. As usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we think we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is Rufus Jones. Rufus is an award-winning writer and actor. He's probably best known in this room for his work on W1A and Hunderby, and he is in the forthcoming Stan and Ollie. Also, must be said, I've got to talk about your pilot, Home. Your comedy blap, which I think is the best pilot I've ever seen. It's very good. It's so good. You're unreasonably nice, Jason, but I, I won't stop you. <laughs> Hello, everyone, by the way. Hello, boys. Hello, Hi, Ruth. Hey. It's, it's Monday morning, and, and I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. What have you brought to show us today? <laughs> I have bought, teachers, sirs, uh, Midnight Run, which Excellent. is a film from, I think, 1988. Uh, and it's Robert Dark De Niro. days, 1988, between the times. That's right. The Berlin Wall was, you know, <laughs> nearly falling. Teetering. Yeah, Mandela was uh, putting on his going-home shoes. And, uh, and somewhere in Hollywood, an independent film was dressing itself up as a big movie studio blockbuster. That's my theory, anyway. And it's, it's a film with Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin, directed by Martin Brest, who did Beverly Hills Cop. It's probably best known for that. And it's it, it's one of those films that I thought I only knew uh, for about for about fifteen years, and then slowly collaborators creep out of the wallpaper, yeah. <laughs> and you realise that when I got into comedy, you realise everyone sort of knows it, and and is either passionate about it, or or just thinks, yeah, that's that's so much better than I thought it was going to be. It's definitely got you would expect from someone saying it's a nineteen ninety eight Robert De Niro action film, sort of, that you know what you're going to get. Yeah. Weirdly, when you said we sort of said to you bring something on, and you emailed and said I want to do Midnight Run. When the email arrived, I was halfway through watching Midnight Run because <gasps> I had missed it and assumed it wasn't for me. And when people described it, I thought it'll be one of those. I know what it'll be. Yeah. And when your email arrived, I was halfway through and I'd already decided it was brilliant. So it was a really nice thing to 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 be uh, invited to talk about because I've come. New to it, and I think you as well. Yeah, yeah. I was new to it as well. Well, it's, it's it's one of those films which, from the VHS front cover, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't look like it's going to be a barrel of laughs, and it's an eighteen, 
and it's Robert De Niro sort of manhandling Grodin and you sort of think, oh, it's, it's, it's another sort of uncompromising tough guy thriller. And it's, and it's not. And it, I've read a couple of pieces that said this is the film that made Robert De Niro into a movie star. That's right. As in, he was an actor before. He's obviously incredible run of films set in the same kind of hard-boiled, gangster, New York, LA, Vegas kind of world that this is set in. But before then, he was an actor and wouldn't necessarily be big box office. And this is the film that begins the slow journey towards Meet the... <laughs> the parents or whatever it is. And it is a slow journey. <laughs> but this is the peak of the slide. He's at the top of the Astroglide getting his getting his mat he out is. here. And the eighties were kind of the eighties were kind of weird for De Niro as well, because he sort of he kind of hit his apex, well for many people I guess, with with uh King of Comedy, which is eighty two. Yeah. And you've got another eighteen months after Midnight Run for Goodfellas. Yeah. And in between those two films, you've got some weird stuff. You've got you've got the mission, I think, uh Jackknife. He's trying uh, different things. I, I read somewhere that he was he was trying to get big. That's right. He really wanted big. It's in the script yeah. for big and he wanted to be in big. big. And you're thinking this is at a point where he could or wanted to get Tom Hanks's career. So, something else I read that was that was great was that originally it wasn't going to be Charles Grodin, it was going to be Robin Williams. And then it was going to be Cher. Oh, yeah. God, yes. And now I read this version. It was when it was, it ended up at Universal, didn't it? But when it was That's at right. Paramount, Paramount were going, yeah, can we get Cher in and make it more of a kind of romance right. thing? Right. The number of times you read stories about studios <laughs> the wiping their asses on these screenplays that they've got. What, it's what's, incredible. What's great about this movie, and I think we should talk about this, because obviously we're talking about comedy here. This is an action movie, but it is an action comedy. And action comedy is a very interesting genre. The opening scene, the cold open at the beginning, which is like a, the beginning of a sitcom. It opens with a mm. gag that De Niro is, is picking a lock. He fumbles the, the pick. He ducks down to pick the pickup and the door Gunshot. blows out with a shotgun yeah. and it's got the pacing of a Buster Keaton gag it's mm. so well done in that moment you go it's going to be thrilling and funny and he's going to be a clown and I'm going to enjoy the clowns in the thriller so it sets those rules out and yet at the same time this is a an action comedy is a funny thing to do. You're wondering how what what's the core joke in this that works. Yeah. And the, halfway through watching it I realized the core joke in this is Jim Field Smith's joke in The Wrong Man's. Yeah. These are the wrong people to be in this action movie. Yeah, exactly. And the reason they are, and I, I was going, something's up. What is it about their relationship? And I suddenly realised halfway through, yeah. because what they are is a married couple. Yeah. They're a married couple on a long road trip. Yeah. And then I read an interview with uh, George Gallo, who wrote it, and he said he based the characters on his mum and dad. Yeah. At which point you go, this makes perfect <laughs> sense. It is a bickering married couple on a long road trip where the car keeps breaking. It's, it, it's so true because so many, so many odd couple films are portrayed as marriages. Mm. But, they, but, they're, but they're normally just two men who disagree <laughs> you know a civil partnership maybe yeah. but not not a not a husband wife marriage this comes as close to a husband wife marriage yeah. with two men because you have De Niro's character who is who has two expressions silence and rage <laughs> and then that's what Grodin says he says you, you yeah. can't express yourself he's a he's the breadwinner yeah he's the guy and there's a right. brilliant scene where De Niro's credit card gets cancelled De Niro turns up to try to buy a bus ticket mm. And gets turned down. The car gets declined. And the look on Grodin's face yeah. is the look of a wife who said, I promised, you said yeah. you'd yeah. pay the overdraft on. Yeah. Two one-way tickets to Los Angeles, please. I'm sorry, sir, this car's been cancelled. Huh? It's, it's been cancelled? I'm sorry, that's a mistake. Would you please try it again? I checked it twice, sir. Please try it again. Please try it again. Should pay the bill. Shut up. Yeah. That's it, that's it. <laughs> 
That's it. And it's it, what's great too, especially for an eighties movie, and what what sort of reinforces that kind of marriage is there are no wisecracks. There's no, what marks this out from Lethal Weapon, for instance, which is arguably, you know, I, I love Lethal Weapon. It's, it's, a, it's a good, it's a good kind of frothy partnership there. But they're wisecracking all the time. They're saying things so funny so quickly. It just takes it out of something, and you hear yeah. the writing. Yeah. Whereas De Niro and Grodin, they're no, there are funny lines, but it's it's more in delivery and it's more through the character fullness of it. Yeah. And so their kind of vulnerability just feels. So much more authentic than so many of the other kind of Shane Black kind of cocaine scripts that were sort of yeah. you know, not, circulating around Hollywood. It's not Hollywood a busy script. It's, it's good not. lines and it's, it's well written. It's characterful stuff. It's all in the looks. If I look away from the screen, I'm missing half the jokes. Yeah. What I found really impressive, and it's one of the tricks I think that works with wisecracking scripts as well, is one of the funniest things and the most heroic things you can do in an action movie is underreact. Yeah. It's Arnie striding out of the exploding petrol station. And or it's it's Daniel Craig shooting his cuffs as he walks through an exploding train. And underreacting is both cool as hell. Because yeah. you're going, hey, this guy yeah. underreacts. Look at him shooting his cuffs while but the also hilarious. You laugh. De Niro is underreacting to yeah. a certain degree. Yeah. And then you pair him with someone who underreacts yeah. even lower. Yeah. And it's also an adventure comedy where one guy can't do comedy and the other guy can't do adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just perfect yeah. because, you know, they're just making it up as they go along. Yeah, there's a feeling of it being very loose without it being indulgent. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 heard, a, I heard a story which you, you, you're never quite sure whether anyone can back it up, that De Niro was... He was very anxious about this being a studio movie, for want of a better phrase. And he said, I only want actors who won't be intimidated by me, <laughs> which is probably the most intimidating thing an actor could possibly say to a bunch of other actors who are about to work with Robert De Niro. But what it does mean is you get some brilliant character actors in some minor roles, all roles which in any other film would be relatively inconsequential. I mean, someone like Philip Baker Hall is, is uh, in it. Yeah, from um, Magnolia. Right, yeah. right. He's an incredible character. He's got about 10 lines in it. Yafet Kotto, who's, you know, yeah. kind of everyone's favourite Bond villain in a yeah. safari suit. And he turns Alonzo Mosley into this kind of <laughs> mythical yeah. figure of, Good name. of frustration. Amazing. And the film is full of great names. It does follow the Jack rule. That yeah. all action heroes must be called Jack. Jack it's apparently Walsh. the easiest thing to shout. Full name John Wesley Walsh, though, someone yeah, says it's it sounds, which I quite like. You think, okay, he's so a there's John, two, he's not there's a Jack. two Johns, then? Yeah. Wow. Oh, hang on, who's the other Jonathan, Jonathan Mardukas. Jonathan Mardukas. John Mardukas, the Duke. Yeah, the Duke. neither of them are called John. The Duke and Jack. Jack and the Duke. <laughs> Jack, and the, Jack and the Duke. Oh, Jack God. The Duke. That, I mean, that's, that's Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> this is a gonzo movie. One of the things that makes it really funny, I think, is that not only are they a married couple, but also this is full of grown-ups acting like children. Yeah. If you want to understand how to write comedy, start with grown-ups behaving oh. like children. And what this is, this is Are We There Yet? But also with uh, a gonzo take on two people who are basically little kids yeah. being selfish and whiny and petulant things with the guys who are on their tail. Big They're names. being infantilised by the chaos. Yeah, the chaos around them makes them... That great scene with the two gangsters who are on their tail and you go, wait, we've got proper yeah. wise guy gangsters. Yeah. And one of them's on the payphone yeah. and the other one is play fighting and doing yeah. karate That's kicks. Right. With when was Home Alone? Six. Because uh, <laughs> Pesci and... Daniel Stern in that yeah. remind me so much of those bodyguards. I think it's Home Alone oh, yeah. after this. Those hoods. Home Alone's eighty six. 
six. Six. So, so it predates it possibly, right. but probably in production at the same time. And you, you got two. <laughs> you just got two guys who are play fighting when they're not yeah. fighting the other guy. The one, the film that this immediately drew comparisons with in my head was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, exactly. which came out seven months before this one, and that's wow. the cartoon version of this. Isn't yeah. it? basically, it's the it's the big silly. Yeah. Two guys who don't like each other who eventually do like each yeah. other on a road trip. It's had, the same exactly. structure. But I had a very tedious theory. Done. I did a very tedious theory. I'll regale you with that. that Hollywood. <laughs> Go on, that's what, this is, this <laughs> is a place for tedious theories. <laughs> <laughs> Narrow casting at its best. <laughs> but um, Hollywood is based on chase movies yeah. from Max Sennett through. Chaplin having the village chase him around a you know yeah. a mansion yeah. through the general and it's all about the chase it, it's moving to get somewhere mm. but then in the 60s something happens and the chase movie becomes a, the road movie mm. where it's it's not about the destination it's about the journey yeah and we all get existential and we talk about each <laughs> other da, 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 da. and and that produces some great films but what happens is the chase movie gets sort of forgotten and it becomes more the province of action films straight action yeah. and what midnight run does is take this this surprisingly kind of moribund thing and re-inject the comedy because because chases were originally yeah. funny things. Keystone and Cops. Yeah, mm. exactly, exactly. The, the, the only movie this reminded me of was uh, Spielberg's first movie, Sugarland Express. Right, which I haven't Goldie seen. Goldie Hall movie. No one's seen it. And please yeah. do. It is so joyous. It is. Do you like Spielberg movies? Would you like to see the movie he made immediately before Jaws? Because he was quite good at making films. <laughs> and what that is, that is a chase movie. It's a road movie and a chase movie. And it has... In it, and it's 1974, the same scene that's done again in Midnight Run, which is too many police cars. And apparently it's a rule. (laughs) If an officer is in trouble, every officer in the area has to respond. (laughs) Apparently it's the thing that they found out for Sugarland Express. So basically, once one car comes after them, every car has to come after them. And Sugarland Express has that scene that you see again in Midnight Run of just endless flashing lights. Yeah. I didn't realise one of the rules of Hollywood is seeing too many flashing lights in a yeah. row is never not fun. Yeah. And that number of police cars coming after them... You've and seen that 80s again. trope of the police car just falling into a ditch. Oh, it's so much... I'd not, you know, it's just... But I'd not seen as well. <laughs> that pure old. Dukes of Hazzard thing, but I'd not seen a helicopter shot because yes. Jaffet Cotter's in a helicopter and taking the helicopter across the scene of the car chase, yeah. the Smokey and the Bandit car chase, yeah. to see 30 or 40 yeah. police cars with their noses in ditches, how much I'd enjoy Seeing that. And you know what marks out Midnight Run is for that shot in a in a worse movie that's just a helicopter shot. Yeah. But in Midnight Run, someone that a character is in the helicopter, yes. so there's a reason it's for a that motivated shot. shot. Yeah. 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 But it's, yeah. it's that lovely thing. Michael Caine said it about uh, about the Italian job. He said the reason the Italian job is popular is it's kids on the carpet playing with toy cars. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something lovely about it. if you're going to do a big car chase as they do in Midnight Run. It's another thing that stops it being an indie movie and makes it a big Hollywood movie. They do that car chase, and it is as much fun as being a kid and playing cars. Mm. It's so mm. joyous. And just going back to what you were saying uh, about uh, <laughs> Robert De Niro wanting to be in Big. Yeah. This this is your Robert De Niro as a 15 year old film. Yeah. Funnily enough, the thing he finally gets to do on a studio scale is our, our man's man, independent actor, being sort of brought back down to his teenage self. Yeah, it, the, the childishness of it is gleeful, I think. And one of the things that, that maybe makes it work is that one of the reasons you can't cast Cher in it. And they wanted to put Cher in it. Let's keep pretending There's Cher's There's only one reason. Uh, you, can't, you can't put Cher in this because if you put sex in this film, it becomes adult. Yeah. It's full of swearing and adult. It's an 18 certificate film. There's one scene with women in it. Yeah, where he goes back and it's a really yeah. touching and it breaks scene your heart. Yeah. with his with his wife, his estranged wife and his and his daughter. Oh. God, the daughter's good. Yeah. The fact that 
you see De Niro when he's got no money and his daughter offers him her babysitting money and he says no and you go you're a decent man I will watch you for the rest yeah. of this adventure I will up just thinking about this it's amazing <laughs> it, it, it's extraordinary because in a in, in, in a De Niro drama that scene just becomes another good scene mm. and then this film the, the, the fact that they found time for that scene yeah. in the edit that that's a really good it director is. making space for it's a film that you know. Because of its register, can actually adopt a lot of different things, can't it? Because it's got yeah. the chases, it's got the it's got the heartfelt moments, it's got the it's got the there. I mean, the dialogue's very good, even though it's not. You can't hear the typewriter. No, you get those great lines like "I'm going to bury that telephone in your face" and <laughs> things like that. You know. Yeah. Um, but also, it's got it's it's a very satisfying film. I think yeah. it does so much for you as a viewer. It's like the yeah. final takedown, which is basically the car chase done, but in the airport, mm. which is where suddenly the F, It turns out that nearly everybody. In the airport is working for the yeah. FBI. No one's taking a flight. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, so satisfying. True. There's a lot of good overkill in this, where yeah. suddenly, sort of, if, if something happens, it happens big. One of the big advantages of being an 80s studio picture is that when they want an entire airport full of FBI agents or a shootout in the middle of New York with, with the FBI versus the mafia, it's big. That's, you know, that's 400, 500 extras <laughs> in, a, in a real airport. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I did a film a couple of years ago, that, uh, Jackie. Chan film, which was in Stansted Airport, mm. we had we had about 150 extras. Mm. That's huge by today's standards, yeah. you know. And and to do that scene in, in in the 1980s, I guess, was relatively standard. But 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 by today's standards, it's um it's enormous. I imagine the hard thing to do. I mean, you've been in action movies and you've done work with Jim Field Smith, who works in the field of action comedy a yeah. lot. Surely the hardest thing to do is to keep an eye on the fact this is meant to be fun and entertaining when you've got those great big casts, but to try and keep a lightness of touch when you've got 400 extras must be almost impossible. Ironically, one of the things that helps you in an action comedy is as long as you've got a plot that is driving, 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 and it's and it's complicated and you've got to serve <laughs> the plot and it's and I want to talk about that, by yes. the way, because the plot in this is something I conveniently ignored for 20 years and then <laughs> tried to write down and realised I couldn't. And um, by having to serve the, you know, the police story. I, I think it allows you, you know, the little oases of comedy that when they, when they happen, enjoy them, but they're not going to last more than three pages because, the you know, you've running. got the disc story happening or yeah. what's happening to Marvin over there and where's he in... Because in the plot, there's, staff, there's an interesting you know. thing that reminded me of Donald E. Westlake and The Hot Rock and those guys who write hard-boiled crime thrillers that yeah. are very funny. There's a thing in these thrillers that a little bit of dialogue about bail bonds yeah. or a little bit of dialogue about how you can get the guy if he sets foot in the airport because of the law yeah. in Vegas and you go your brain tunes out at those points oh, and goes yeah. this is Chutney I'm glad yours does this <laughs> is just Chutney as long as I understand he mustn't set foot in the airport yeah. and I imagine it's two days research yeah. from someone because oh, there's a scene between Yafet Cotto and Robert De Niro Robert De Niro's saying you know um, and you can get him on uh, intent to supply and da 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 and yeah. Yafet Cotto goes well to be honest Walsh that's all bullshit unless you can get him to take the discs uh, and that's the audience speaking yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. audience yeah. Yeah. Yada yada yada. Okay, great. You've got him on six federal offences, but frankly, that's just to make us all feel professional. Yes. <laughs> what yeah. we want is just is arrest it? him for something that we assume is is legal. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In any action comedy, you're watching two parallel things. One is an action movie yeah. and one is a comedy movie. You want to trust that when the clutch goes down, the gears disengage and we get a funny scene, that someone's looking after the plot. And the way you do that, I think, is by using a lot of crime bullshit that the audience goes, oh, I bet they've thought about this. Yeah. This is covered. I think there's a very particular experience of watching Midnight Run as a, uh, as a British person because we don't do bail <laughs> or bail bond. Does anyone in this no. room know what that is? Yeah, so, shall I tell you? Have you looked it up? Yeah, I have. <laughs> He's I'm going to do this. Work. I'm going to form a self-help group because I, I put it out. I put it out on Twitter, and then John Niven immediately came back with, "Of course, I understand the plot. How the fuck do you not understand?" <laughs> but uh, so, so basically, when uh, when Jonathan Mardukas, when when Charles Grodin gets arrested, yep. uh, there is a period between your arrest and turning up in court, okay? And in order to serve that time outside prison, just as a free man, you got to post bail. But the bail is hugely expensive. So you get a bond. You get a bail bondsman, which is uh, Moscow, eh, eh, Eddie Moscow on half It looks like a, a minicab office. He's exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but then he skips bail. So Charles Grodin, runs all he has to do is just stay at home, but he runs away. Right. And Eddie Moscone, in order to not default on the bond, has to get him back to L.A. within five days, or he's out to the tune of something like $450,000. That's it. But there's so much assumed in the opening bit where uh, Pantaleano talks to De Niro in the, in the breakfast uh, scene, and, and he says, you know, Jesus Christ, Jack, it's a midnight run. He got, you know what, hmm, what? Oh, good. But I like oh, the good. phrase. <laughs> yes. yeah. Guys, come on, it's a basic midnight run movie. My, exactly, it's your standard midnight run. Yeah. <laughs> but but my, my, other, my other slightly more interesting theory is the thing that, that leavens the bread for a British viewer, even though you don't know what the fuck's going on, is that he's a bounty hunter. Yes. And there's one bounty hunter that I grew up loving, no. and he, he flew the Millennium Falcon. And I never really understood what Han Solo did for a job. <laughs> <laughs> He's a he space pirate. And he owed money to Jabba the Hutt. And also, you know that he can be funny. Yeah, because the the smuggler and the pirate in Star Wars, yeah. he's got all the best lines. Exactly. So your brain goes, "Hey, he's going to be a bit a bit flipped of a." And, and also, Han Solo always wanted to open up a coffee shop. That's the thing. <laughs> this is what it shares, and and, and <laughs> you follow it through to the nth degree. And this is Han Solo and C three PO on the run. <laughs> <laughs> what they what this created, and I wrote this down because I can't believe it didn't occur to me the first time I watched this. Second time around, I went, "Oh my god!" The number of lines and scenes in this that turn up again in Tarantino. Oh, I, I had exactly the same thought. So, okay, so here's my third tedious theory. Here's, but this is <laughs> okay. where action comedy comes in. You go flippant yeah. gangster. So this is six years before Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and the bit where Farina says uh, to Gordon two things: one, you're gonna die tonight; two, I'm gonna go home; I'm gonna have a nice hot meal. I'm going to find your wife. I'm going to kill her too. And it's fucking... It's completely chilling. Nice hot meal, though. Yeah. Is that a it's, royale with it's cheese, Dennis? You know, oh, it's, no, it's potatoes, Leonese. Yeah. Are you familiar with a dish uh, of a potato dish, a uh, Leonese potato? It's a, uh, it's a kind of a fried potato, but it's got, like, an onion in it. It's, it's quite delicious. It, uh, it really goes beautifully with uh, steak, uh, chops, uh, you know, hamburger, cheeseburger, any of your, your meat dishes. It's just, uh, you know, I have 
I have enough money to buy you. Hey, look. As much Leonie's potatoes just, as you ever Just shut the fuck up, will you, please? Right. And it's also Grodin telling De Niro to tip the waiting staff because these people depend on their tips I remember when I first saw Reservoir Dogs thinking this is a new thing this was a genre that had fallen possibly from fashion yeah because there were the wisecracking lethal weapony diehardy slightly more flip action movies this is a good dry 1970s funny action thriller I think you're right I think you're right but you kind of went well it was still going on it's just no one was looking yeah how how much more attention do you want to draw to it than put Robert De Niro in it yeah 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 no it's true it's true even going back to you know uh, Hackman and French Connection who I sort of idolised but that holds you pick your feet stuff it's it's, it's all micro characterization. Mm. Amidst high stakes poker, yes, and yeah. and 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 the, what I love about that Farina, I'm going to have a nice hot meal. Is that it's <laughs> it's that very particular mafia thing where revenge is not a dish served cold; mm. it's served really warm yeah. with a side of fries. <laughs> oh, I'm having a nice life. Yeah, you are you are merely the amuse bouche. Yeah, <laughs> um, my I'm, life goes on. I'm very relaxed about killing. Yeah, me. this is really not. What do we think? Yeah. What do we think? You're. I'm not an actor. You are. What's De Niro doing in this? Because it's a lovely performance. Isn't yeah, it? it is. I tell you what, it's it's been it's been possibly his most handsome. Point. He's about sort of thirty eight, I think, and oh. maybe maybe younger. I don't know, but he just he just looks great. And I think I think also there's a lot of all the De Niroisms that we would incorporate into yeah. our you know, five-pint Robert De Niro impression, <laughs> yeah. are all present in this film in ways that actually they aren't necessarily in other films. So, you know, the the way that he sort of talks to the third person who's not in the scene, like, this guy, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> who are you talking to? What is it? Who are you talking to the audience, of course, you're a ah. clever man. But it's all there, the kind of the smile that looks like he's, you know, chewing a wasp, and it's, it's just, <laughs> it's all employed. In a, in a really convenient sort of two-hour movie, but what you have is De Niro in the middle of a comedy treating it with utmost seriousness, but sh- shy of the pantomime that he sort of ended up doing in Meet the Parents. And against that, and this is something I'm desperate to talk to you about, is something you've got the guy treating the comedy with seriousness, which is, which is De Niro. Yeah. Against him, you have Grodin, who is treating... The seriousness, yeah, as if he's in a sitcom, yeah. And the thing that I noticed in this, and I looked this up just to double check, it's yeah. a bit Lemon and Matow, it's yeah. a bit odd couple. So I thought, hang on, where are we talking about religion wise here? So I looked it up, and you've got a guy with Orthodox Jewish parents, <laughs> and Grodin <laughs> is the classic thing that I, I know that you're fascinated by the Jewish guy in an action movie, yeah, which is the thing that is unsaid about Harrison Ford, yeah. Yeah, put, yeah, exactly. Give Walter Matto a bullwhip and see what happens. <laughs> oh, you get, <laughs> as we've talked about before, you get Indiana Jones. The only reason that performance works, and there's a lot of Harrison Ford in both of them in this. It's yeah. two indies. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, even down to the fact that De Niro's costume ends up as battered. It's the leather yeah. jacket and battered. It's half Han Solo, yeah. half yeah. Indiana Jones. It's yeah. that thing. You've got those guys and you go, why are those guys funny? Why are they fun? Why do I enjoy watching them? And the idea mm. is you've got someone who goes, Nazis, I hate those guys. Yeah. In the middle of, Quite a serious action film. Yeah. And I think the other thing that can't be underestimated is is how good Charles Grodin makes De Niro look. But my, the space he gives De Niro, it's just, it's sort of magnificent. And he just, you, you hear in all these scenes, Grodin just muttering in the background, <laughs> just kind of noodling in between De Niro's kind of repetition acting. And, and it just, it offsets so well. Yeah. And also, and Grodin's pace 
is uh, it's almost like a love story. Pay it's so slow. Yeah, like mm. Rowan just he's got explosions, he's got helicopters running at him, but he will take his time to say the line. And again, it's like it's a small indie movie pace, which is it's like a very slow moving train <laughs> through this <laughs> this crazy action film. There's something so attractive about watching that, and and watching watching De Niro, who I think sort of. Certainly by that stage, you look at him as the, like Corleone in Godfather 2 uh, or even even uh, the deer hunter. He was a man of authority, wasn't he? He was like tremendous. And even Travis Bickle. Yeah. You know, here's a guy who very slowly gets on with his plan. And there's a, there's a method to the madness, you know, with, with De Niro's characters. But here, he's low stakes. He's oh, low stakes. He's low status. He's, you know. The schlub. He's a schlub. And he's always running. He's 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 always he's got a bad run. He's really stiff, <laughs> a bit like Harrison Ford. You know, yeah. not great runners. They're no Mel Gibson. Yeah, and it's very attractive to see Robert De Niro sort of harried. I think there's, there's a, a <laughs> rushed. Phrase, there's a phrase I wrote. I wrote this whole film is a graceless. Yeah, shambles. Yeah. I just stumble. Yeah. Them trying to get on the train, the groceries. The shopping goes it's everywhere. It's been such an effort to get those groceries. Yeah. The physicality yeah. of this, which is, as you said, it's Keystone Cops, it's slapstick, which is something I remember again with action comedy. Jim Fieldsmith saying that he made uh, Matt Bainton and James Corden in The Wrong Man's Run like they'd seen action heroes run, yes. but they can't quite do it. Exactly. De Niro has a funny punch. <laughs> the number of times that a punch is used as literally a punchline punctuate scene, scenes yeah. with physicality a punch knocks someone out Marvin 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 then Marvin himself uses the car door as his weapon John of Ashton. choice yeah. <laughs> he's constantly <laughs> knocking people over with a car door and yeah. you go this is uh, this is uh, Laurel and Hardy with a plan yeah slapstick there's a similar bit that outlines that where uh, they're, they're stealing a car toward, right towards the end they're in Arizona and De Niro's <laughs> literally climbing into the hood to kind of jump yes. start it and you just hear Gordon off camera going oh great another crime <laughs> Tossed away, but it's so glorious because, and, and it, it goes back to our thing that, that there are no punchlines here. Mm. The most elegant line for me is right at the end, very moving scenery. Gives him the money, not a payoff, yep. a gift. And he says it's in the neighborhood of $300,000. And De Niro says it's a very respectable neighborhood, <laughs> yeah. which is so. Be, it's such a well-crafted line. And the but the double you meaning of he wants to open a coffee shop and your yeah. brain goes, well, the coffee shop will be in a more respectable neighbourhood. Exactly. It's just weighted. Both meanings exactly. work thoroughly. Yeah. Um, that payoff and that level of writing, the other thing that's reminding me of, which I don't think you'd think of as a connection, is Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah, no. I, mm. I, these are guys who come from sitcom who've got the pacing and the musicality that you need to deliver sitcom. Yeah. And yet they're yeah. being given a serious gangster film. I, I, it's almost more than that in the sense that what TV did after The Sopranos in, in creating you these total bits of art where it's your favourite <laughs> comedy, it's your favourite drama, it's your favourite action thing, it's your favourite love story. It's, it's everything you need from TV for, you know, six weeks while you sort of digest the whole thing. <laughs> M Midnight Runs sort of, it, it, it feels like it helps to create that yeah. because it, as a film it's, it's one of those things that I can just... Uh, pick up at any stage when it's on on TV and I'll watch it to the end. I'll, I might loop around, you know, and you'll just happily watch it like you would do in the in the cinema in the 60s and just kind of... <laughs> an, endless, an endless chase. An endless loop. And it's, it's, it's feel-good, mac and cheese, 
movies yeah. and totally satisfying. So, so one of the reasons it's so difficult to categorise is because for me, it's, it's pressing all the buttons that I need pressed from normally three different movies. <laughs> but yeah. Don't Run yeah. does it all for what, me. And there's a brilliant example of it, which took me years to notice, which is the Return of the Pink Panther, the Christopher Plummer jewel heist mm. Pink Panther movie, where there are two movies going on at once. One is a jewel heist movie yeah. that's about as good a jewel heist movie as you'll ever see, yeah. with a monofilament wire and the, the person in black with a crossbow and proper violence. Yeah. And then between those scenes, there's some pratfalls yeah. with, with sellers at the peak of his game. They're never blended. The real achievement is to have a movie which at no point are you turning any of those buttons off. And I think this is a great example of a film where the action is funny yeah. and the funny stuff is thrilling. Yeah. And it doesn't feel... You can't hear the gears clunking. No, that's true. But I, 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 th I think, too, though, whenever whenever you write, a uh, say, a half-hour comedy or a, a pilot for TV or, or film, there's always, after the first draft, the notes... And the notes are so often, they're never about the jokes. No. They're always about the plot. Yeah. Yeah. And no matter how experienced you are, there's always that, oh, just let me be funny. Yeah. Oh, fuck off and just let me be funny. <laughs> It'll work. They'll buy it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And this is a great example. And it's, it's the one I always try and keep in the front of my head, that whenever I feel like that on draft three, remember the films you love, because often the plot is this absolute Rolls Royce. And yet, I spent 20 years ignoring the plot, but what it did was carry the jokes in yeah. the most beautifully magnificent way. And, it's the vehicle. It's the vehicle. It's, the, it's literally there. the vehicle. And, you know, road movies are great, but if it's just about the journey, you know, you, you've got to be really good to be just about the journey. Yeah. And, and it, it, the great thing about a chase film is it allows you these, these pools of comedy which just hum when they're done well yeah. and makes you think that you've watched a... A comedy, even though you've kind of watched a thriller, and it's yeah. it's it's a trick. I think that's we we use the phrase when you're uh, you're adding jokes. Jokes are extraneous; they're not needed mm. in the nicest possible way. The first thing that gets sacrificed in an edit very often is the jokes because right. they are they're protuberances, they're they're peacock tails, they're yeah. horns and frills yeah. on on the, on the thing. And we we always say that the, the the first thing that happens when you run a uh, thing you've written is you run it down the road and bits of it fall off. Yeah. And they're always the fins <laughs> and the and the aerials and the things that, oh, but I like the car having fins and aerials. And you go, it doesn't need it. It needs yeah. wheels and a chassis. What's under the hood? Uh, and <laughs> it's a really hard thing to let those things go. And you keep trying to bolt them back on, then you drive it and it falls off again and the jalopy's yeah. falling apart. It's like a clown car. Yeah. But you do need a vehicle that works. And I think this is a good example of something which, you're right, you should look at this and say, actually, it's not constantly dancing and, and jiggling about trying to make me laugh. But I am laughing and enjoying myself. It's so entertaining yeah. that it's a very good argument it's for saying, a, just keep the plot working. It's also, there's, it's a real film to watch for, for running jokes as well. <laughs> mm. The sunglasses. The, the sunglasses and the cigarette. Most of them are Yafet Kotto's, weirdly. He's, he's, he's carrying the yucks. Guy. <laughs> the whole stealing the cigarettes, John Ashton's yeah. line of why don't you give up, it'd be cheaper for both of us, <laughs> which is the other great line in it. <laughs> But it's it's so beautiful because on its on its own these these aren't jokes. This is just a characterful quirk. But yeah. done five times through the movie, and when the movie finds time to remind you that oh yeah he's the glasses guy yeah you know oh yeah Marvin always looks behind when there isn't anyone there yeah it's, it's I don't know that the, the dividends sort of increase the more the, the further you get through the film. What you're talking it's, about there is is comic pacing. That's a that's a callback. That's yeah, like a stand up yeah. routine. Yeah. What it's got is the music and the rhythm 
of a comedy, yeah. regardless of how many lines are in it. Yeah. Probably its, its biggest function, I think, is to answer that question, which people are asking a lot at the moment about what is a comedy? How much can a, can a where does comedy drama, where's the crossover point? Yeah. Can things that are intrinsically dramatic be awarded sitcom awards and things? We're in this sort of flux state yeah. at the moment anything with, with comedy. Anything. And what's interesting about this is, you know, there's no, there's no point at which you'd say this was a serious drama. No. There's this whole theme about no happy endings through this, even though there's a beautiful one. Yeah. Oh, they, they yeah. earn that. But God, the scene, but the scene with his daughter yeah. is so crucial because him driving away without taking her her pocket money is the right thing to do. But so desperately sad that you yeah. kind of go, Jesus, this film may not offer me the ending I need. Yeah. And then, and then at the end, the, the whole see you in the next life, Jack. Mm. There's a kind of sense that you know. We're all going to die, <laughs> and, when, 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 and we're not going to keep in touch. You when, know, the, when Grodin disappears, he, he turns back, and Grodin's vanished. It's almost as if he was a ghost or yeah. an angel. It's like Clarence. Yeah, he's come down to show him the other life. He exactly. could have. It's sort of metaphysical. He has been saved yeah. by the most annoying man on earth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Who also sort of who is the most annoying, but also is is the friend you want to make yeah. almost immediately in the pub because. <laughs> He just he's so avuncular Grodin. He's just got this amazing sort of warmth to him. And and, and and the character's clever because he's he's pressing De Niro's buttons, but he's also able to fly. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 he, and just when you think they're sort not of like getting anyone, close, anyone he tries to run away. Anyone again. who hasn't seen the film, he's not actually literally able to fly. Oh yeah, he's not able to fly. He doesn't no, no, take no. off like Christopher Reeve. <laughs> what a no, twist. That's casting. <laughs> that's casting. <laughs> Wow. Do you want me to fly? I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> Skills include horse riding, fencing, and also I can fly. Man. But go, going back to De Niro, I think I think this is the film. It, ironically, it's the, it, it's the film I love him most for because you see him sort of out of a certain comfort zone. Yeah. It's not method. He's not... Do you know he's not learning to cobble? Is he a, is he a method actor usually? Yeah, and quite genuinely so. Sort of Strasbourg. Well, weirdly, um, Grodin studied under Strasbourg. Really, I think it was kind of lazily applied to De Niro and everyone since. But I mean, he he learned to fight for Raging Bull to the extent that uh, Lamotta said he could have been a pro. It was ridiculous. Wow. He, yeah, he was just preposterously talented in that department. He learned to play the saxophone for New York, New York. That weird film with Liza Minnelli. Mm. And, you know, the guy, yeah, the guy applies himself. Wow. Yeah, wow, he's, I didn't know that. He's just not, you know... He learned to wear sunglasses for this one. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, well, this is it with Midnight Run. You kind of go, well, OK, I, in virtually every other De Niro film, I could see the thing you trained to yeah. do yeah. <laughs> for, for, the, for, for three months before filming. The one thing in Midnight Run I look at and go, ah, oh, you had a real look at this, was the lock picking. They yeah. do it twice. Ah. They do it at the beginning of the film, like 15 <laughs> minutes in. And he does it really well. And I think it's a pan from his face down to his hands. It's Bob doing it. And he insisted, <laughs> stay with me. <laughs> and, he, and he really, and it's really good. And he wiggles and it's, it's, it's messy. And, and yeah. arguably that lot picks the kind of metaphor for the film because it's messy. It doesn't quite work. It's like, no, we're going to wait for five seconds while De Niro gets through the door. What's fascinating about this is that it sits, I think, more than anything I've ever seen in that midpoint between comedy and drama yeah. and does it in a way that is that tells you secretly what both are trying to do 
which is it is just entertaining. Yeah. And I think that if you're if you work in comedy, you can get too serious about it. And if you work in drama, you can definitely get too serious about it. <laughs> yeah. And this movie just sits in the middle and goes, why doesn't everyone just have fun? Yeah, exactly. And I think I, I, certainly. With my sort of acting uh, cape on, <laughs> it's, it's um, Can you fly. It's exactly, <laughs> it yeah, exactly. It, it's it's exactly the experience that when you receive a script that purports to be drama, you go, "How can I make this bit funny?" Yeah. And whenever you get the comedy script, you go, "How can I, you know, break their I, hearts?" Yeah. How can I break their hearts? And I, I th the performer's instinct is always to, you know kind of hop between the genres, yeah. possibly unhelpfully. <laughs> but this is a film that sort of has the same sort of instinct and you wonder how much was in the script and you wonder how much is Martin Brest, the director. Yeah. I, I think loads of it is is De Niro and Grodin going, you know, this bit that was written here as a, as a wry little three-pager, let's actually bring the tone yeah. down and make it about two men discussing, uh, you know, the divorce or, or the fact that they're going to die before they even get to jail. You know, and it's, it, it's, it, it's so well considered and very contrary as a film. It's I think as a writer, I look at it and go, I don't know how I'd write this down. No. I don't know how I'd write this in a way that someone would buy it off me to make it yeah. because so much is unsaid. I bet there were loads more jokes in the script. As in, and by yeah. jokes, I mean, let's one get line. the flock out of here, sort yeah. of Mel Gibson one-liners. Yeah. And I bet they were dropped. By what? De Niro. <laughs> I can do that with a look. Yeah, yeah. Because, because, and also the moment you get Grodin in place, that becomes a different script. Yeah. To Robin Williams, can you imagine? Yeah. With the best will in the world. You know, that was a, De Niro, Robin Williams worked in Awakenings, but one of them was in a, a deep state coma. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. have to put one of them in a, in a dramatically convenient coma. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> would, it would have been Otherwise the audience will become over-adrenalised. Exactly. <laughs> I suppose what you're talking about here is something which is made by collaboration. I think so. Which I think as well, God, the, the rows you have, as you said, when someone's fiddling with your script, someone's giving notes and you're going, don't spoil the, yeah. the, the, the pristine the genius of what was there. And the answer is, well, collaborate, take good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Surround yourself with good people and, and, and be prepared when it gets to shooting day for Robert De Niro to throw your script away <laughs> and just go, right, we're in a train carriage. Let's do this. So I, this is a good tip for aspiring writers. Just as long as you can secure Robert De Niro. I think... Is that, I think that's some, yeah. is that the charm? Yeah, I think it might be <laughs> the secret. If you can secure Robert De Niro 35 years ago. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's doable, isn't it? Yeah. They'll be able to do it with CGI now. Yeah, You might just buy off the peg a plug-in, which is Robert De Niro 1988. Yeah, yeah. or any, any year. Yeah, any year De Niro. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Rufus, thank you, for bringing in the delightful Midnight Run. Wasn't that fun? <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 